Because of the following special program, WKRP in Cincinnati and Lou Grant will not be presented this evening. Both comedies will return next Sunday at the regular times on most of these stations. Tonight's special presentation is brought to you in part by Hardee's. We're out to win you over. And by Clorox, the makers of Tylex Tile Cleaner. Prepare yourself for an in-depth examination of something mundane from Icy Robot's day-to-day -day existence. Welcome to This Boring Life. Hey kids, it's me, Icy Robots. This is episode number two of This Boring Life. This one focuses all upon my time that I spent working at a laser tag arena known as Qzar over in the next town over known as Ronard Park. This episode was initially dropped as a patron-only special many a moons back. And while I love each and every one of my patrons, I love them from the bottom of my heart. They are not a legion. And I just, I felt it was time to share this episode with the world. There are a ton of good stories, and a lot of them I want to reference on the show, the Toys R Us Report show, and I want to talk about these things, but I can't because they are contained within the secret episode. So I am now making the secret episode public. I hope that you enjoy it. This uh, is just jam-packed with cool, interesting stories. And if you've heard this before, consider yourself one of the few, the few true, awesome fans of the good old Toys R Us report because either you were a patron or you were somebody that I sent this to, like like my buddy Ferg, you know, or Zerb, or... Uh, Gino Vega, just to get some ears on it before it dropped. If you're one of the, if you're one of the few, consider yourself to be the elite, the ultimate strike force for the Toys R Us report. Uh, I guess that's it. So we're gonna have a couple fun songs. Uh, hey, let me get Iceberg in here. Iceberg, yo, hit that mix. Okay, don't yell. This is me, the Iceberg, here on my day off to drop it for you one time. This goes out to all the folks who keep it real and support us on Patreon. Support the report.com for all the details. Six million ways to die. Choose one. Alert. <laughs> Alert. <laughs> The Laser Tag Company was founded in 1987 by Jeff Hazelhorse. It was originally called Quasar. The company was sold in 1991 to a team of Irish investors who started opening arenas all throughout Europe. When they decided to move to America, they discovered that the name Quasar was already owned by something else. So they decided to name the uh, company Qzar, which is what you might know it as today. There are Qzars still in operation around the country, not as many as there used to be. There's one over in the next town over, but it's kind of like a sad shell of what it once was. I don't know, man. I think that maybe laser tag is not as popular as it once was. At one time, it was kind of a happening thing, but now 
it doesn't seem to get the support that it did. I don't really know why that is. It might just be that laser tag was just kind of a fad. It might be with the upswing in paintball. Even now they have like indoor paintball arenas. It might be people dig getting whacked with a hard ball of paint more than they do getting uh, zapped with a laser and hearing a beep. It might just be that people aren't going out and doing things as much as they used to. Indoor activities seem to be on the rise, you know. Home video games, uh, digital TV, phone stuff, I don't know. I don't see as many fools over at the Arcade Fun Center as I used to. Even, you know, things like batting cages seem as if they're on the decline as an activity. They still get used by, you know, softball teams and stuff. But it used to be like you would just go whack some balls around the batting cage for fun. And I don't see uh, people doing that as much as they used to. I don't know. Maybe it's just... Things are changing away and like our culture is headed towards some kind of a science fiction future where everybody has gigantic heads with gigantic brains and they spend their time like sending thoughts back and forth or typing away on screens instead of uh, playing laser tag or hitting balls around the batting cage. I know not. I know not. But I do know that laser tag is not as popular as it used to be. But um, at one time, the Qzar in uh, Ronard Park, that's the next town over, it was really a booming thing. When I was working there, it was a booming place. It was always crowded. Let's uh, let's start at the beginning. I was, in my, uh, I was in my 20s, and I saw an ad in the paper. I was between jobs, and I saw an ad for a laser tag arena that was going to open over in the next town. And I'm just like, I gotta go apply for this. This would be so much fun. So I got a friend of mine, and we went down, and we applied. The, you know, the first day you go in, it was just, you know, fill out an application and drop it off. And then a few days later, we got a phone call to come back in for uh, interviews, or so we thought. They brought in maybe 20 or 25 people, and we thought it was going to be interviewed, but basically... Everybody there was going to be hired. The place was still under construction and they needed a bunch of people to start training as marshals. That's what they called referees. They needed a bunch of marshals and they needed a bunch of cashiers and they needed a bunch of everything. And I guess they were figuring that to some degree people might wash out. So why not just go ahead and hire as many as you can. So even if you have to eliminate a few or even half, you still have a bunch of people. So it started off with a bunch of corporate training. I imagine like as a franchisee, they send people down to train your employees. And this is what this was. Uh, a lot of paperwork, a lot of videos with people um, in Qzar polo shirts. And then the people in the Qzar polo shirts came down and they did actual live training for us. As a marshal, that's what a uh, position I had. I was a marshal. Your main job was to enforce the rules of the arena. You know, the no running, no hitting, no swearing, that kind of stuff. But... At the beginning of every game, you had to give a speech where you explained the rules. I, uh, I've tried to remember it, and I cannot remember, I cannot remember the speech past, uh, the intro. You're like, hello, my name is Icy Robots, I'm your marshal today. Today we are going to be playing a game called Energizer 2. Energizer 2 is a team game, so I'm going to need to get you guys to split into two equal teams. That's as far as I can remember. I cannot remember the actual rules of the game that I would explain, but the training process was essentially they wanted you to memorize that speech and then get up and deliver it. Now, I've always had a bit of a knack for being a public speaker, so I did a good job on this. And on my ability to uh, deliver a speech, I was made a supervisor at QZAR. Not that it made a big difference. I did get paid like... 75 cents more than the other fools, but basically I was just the same as any other scrub that worked there. Um, but at least I got, you know, I got like a, a name tag with the word supervisor on it. And, you know, it's always kind of a bit cool to be in charge. So we went through the entire training process. That was a couple weeks. And during this period of time, they were building the arenas around us. And it was kind of fun because they would occasionally ask us for input on what we thought. I cannot recall any of the, uh, like, specific arena aspects that I suggested beyond the fact that at the time, I was really big into the uh, Church of the Subgenius. I don't know if you know about this, like J.R. Bob Dobbs and Slack and all that stuff. And I was really into them and their iconography. And I suggested that, hey, man, it might be cool to put a few uh, Bob Dobbs heads up there. They had, like... 
They had um like TV screens in the corner that were like flashing, you know, to add like to a kind of eerie post-apocalyptic effect to the arena. And I suggested to the guy that uh it might be cool to uh paint some Dobbs heads onto the TVs, and he did. He painted them on all of them. So that that was one small piece of input that I had. This person who uh, designed the arena. He, uh, he's gonna come into play later, um, he was an interesting fella, you could tell, he was a bit of a hippie guy, a bit weird, and he is going to come into play later during one of the main stories, but, um, as for right now, the QZAR training was, I'm skipping all over the place, this isn't something that they normally do during a Toys R Us report, because I got... I gotta keep a closer eye on the time, but this is just going straight on Patreon, so I can go as long as I want. So I might, I might drift or babble off into, uh, certain areas, but I hope that in the long run, you do consider it worthwhile. The QZAR training was pretty corporate. We had handbooks. One thing, um, that I remember is that they were very insistent that we wear these shiny jumpsuits. We had to wear these shiny neon jumpsuits that were blue. They had blue and they also had green. I preferred the blue. Um, they looked completely stupid, but I really did not mind because I'm of the type that if you give me a uniform to wear to work and I don't have to think about what I'm going to wear at work, I am all the happier. Up on the Jupiter station here, we wear jumpsuits and I don't mind. I don't mind not having to, uh, mess up my own gear at work. Let's, uh, let's go back and reel it in a bit. We haven't even opened the place, but, uh, let's talk a bit about the dude who was the owner. Now, as I understand it, Qzar was kind of a franchise deal, so this was some kind of a guy, had some money saved up or whatever, decided to go into business for himself, and open up a, uh, Qzar laser tag arena over in Runner Park. I mean, it's a good idea. Uh, People always need things to do, you know, I feel like a, an entertainment venture is always fun, but at the same time, you know, you got to keep up on the latest fads, the latest games, the upgrades or whatever, so it could be pricey, but anyway, dude decided to open up a, uh, QZAR for himself, this, uh, this fella named Todd, uh, I, I don't know, I don't have the best feelings for Todd, so I, I might get a bit rude or whatever, but... I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm just gonna keep it real, man. I'm gonna shoot from the hip. Uh, Todd was, uh, kind of a skinny, sort of... Have you seen that movie Hard Bodies where these older dudes kind of buy a place on the beach and they get some younger dudes to come in and teach them how to pick up chicks? How to pick up Hard Bodies? If you haven't seen Hard Bodies, I recommend it. It is a classic slice of the 80s. Well... This guy, Todd, reminded me of the, uh, older dudes in Hard Bodies. <laughs> in a lot of ways, it seemed as if he opened Qzar not only to make money, but also to meet some Hard Bodies, to meet some chicks. He always was, this is what he was always telling us dudes, you know, we're like 20-something dudes full of hormones and whatever, and he was always like, I hired some hot-looking, uh, some good-looking uh, girls for you, you know, I'm a stocking the pond for you, you know, you just gotta, uh, just gotta throw your reel in there, and, you know, uh, gotta have the bait, and you gotta hook one in, you know, we, we had a lot of bait working at Qzar, you know, we were making that fat Qzar stacks, but he was always like, you know, you gotta have the bait to hook a good one, you know, but I'm stocking the pond, eh? you know, I'm stocking the pond, uh, Todd was kind of, I think I already said, he was kind of a skinny, weird-looking dude with kind of a bowl cut, no, you know, not a bowl cut, but kind of one of those parted on the side, sort of haircuts, he had a mustache, a small mustache, he drove like a Trans Am or like a Z28, you know, something like that, and dude used to always wear these Taekwondo blazers, I would always call him in my head Taekwondo Todd, because he would have these like, when I say blazer, that's not what I mean, I mean like a, you know, like a, like a sports top, like a jumper top, you know, like a zippy up the front thing, he had all these Taekwondo tops, you know, they would say like, Taekwondo black belt, and have, like, somebody with, like, a jumping kick, and he would wear Taekwondo t-shirts, and he was always, like, he was always dropping in work with his, with his gi on and his jumper top, just so, just so you know that he was a black belt in Taekwondo, just, just so you know, you know, don't mess, don't mess with Taekwondo Todd, because he will, uh, jump in the air, spin around, kick you in the face, and then jump backwards up a tree. He was that kind of guy. He would show up in his Z-28, uh, in his karate, I mean, his taekwondo outfit, and be like, hey, man, uh, stock the pond, you know? Did you, uh, cast one out there? I don't know. I probably did try to cast some out there, but I don't know if I got anyone on, uh, on my hook, but that was Todd for you. He had an office upstairs. The whole QZAR was on one floor. 
but there was a small upstairs office, and dude was always up there, and it had like a, uh, like a security system, so he could watch you on the cameras, and every once in a while, you know, you'd go up there, and there would be one of the girls working, and it would seem kind of weird, kind of, uh, kind of like, in today's world, it would be sort of a, uh, harassment situation, but you know, that's just Todd being Todd, he has, a. Uh, He's a Taekwondo champ, you know, he has insatiable desires. When you're just, when you're all man like Todd, your desires cannot be quenched without, uh, I don't know, without something. I, he wasn't my favorite guy, but that was Todd for you, and I was happy, I was even happy that he opened the place. So, you know, Todd was cool with me, and at the time, I did think it was cool that he was trying to stock the pond. Now I think it's a little, uh, sleazy, and I'd hate to think about 2.0 working at some place, just... Just getting hired because the owner thought, hey man, stock in the pond with, uh, yeah, it's yuck. It's just gross. Just gross to think about. I wonder where Todd is today. Now, like I said earlier, there is another Qzar in Runner Park. It's in a much smaller location than the original place. And it, uh, it has bad access from the streets. And I did go in there one time and it just seemed absolutely dead. The two employees were just standing at the counter as if no one had come in for hours. And I don't want anything like that. If somebody opens a business, I want it to succeed, even, even if they are, even if they are someone like Todd. But, uh, I, yeah, I don't even know if Todd is the owner of this place, but I would probably think so. Um, I would imagine so, but I know not. I know not for sure. Let's see. What would be the logical second step? Well, we, um, we had Todd, and we had a staff full of people. We were trained. We had uniforms. Let's see, what was QZAR like? There were two arenas. When you would walk in the door, you would, uh, there would be, like, an arcade off to the side. That was Arcade 1, and that would just have a few games. It was a bit of a closet with, uh, you know, it had some stuff in it. Claw machines, uh mini ski ball or whatever and then you would walk past there and the front counter where you would register and off to the side was arena number one i do not remember which was the big one there was a bigger one and a smaller one i'm thinking arena one was a big one when we went into the arena uh the first thing you would do is you you would sit you'd sit in these bleachers and the marshal would give you the speech about the game, you know, the, uh, hey, this is Energizer 1, Energizer 1 is a team game. He would give you that whole thing, break down the rules, and then you would separate into your two squads, and you would go into the next room where you got your, uh, QZAR equipment. You got a vest, and you got a gun. Now, the deal was you would shoot at your opponents and aim for either their gun or their vest. You could hit the front of the vest or the back of the vest or the gun. That was your target. And you would get points for every time you hit them. And then you would, uh, you would be docked points for every time you were hit. You could also gain points by destroying the base. You know, you could get near the base and you would have to shoot. It was like a tube. I remember you would get inside the tube or you would get underneath the tube and you would shoot up into it and I believe you had to get it like two or three times and then their base was destroyed and that would give you some kind of big points it would be uh, you know the equivalent of like five or six kills and then there would be like a period of time where the base was dead and then it would open up again and you could you know go for it again most smart teams would uh, put somebody in there like a goalie whose you know sole job was to protect the base there was like a wall in front of it too so you could crouch behind and shoot and try to protect your base. We we had a team at one point. I'll talk about this later. But we had uh, definitely we had a person. We had a girl named Angela who would stay in the back, and she was our kind of our goalie, always keeping thing. And then we we took it one step further, and we placed somebody off to the side in front of her to even you know try to cap you before you could do that. But uh, the arena now, as I recall, I'm trying to think. I think they were both thematically the same. It was sort of an apocalyptic scene with like radioactive barrels, you know, barrels with, like, a lane on the side, you know, to make defenses with, uh, you know, radioactive uh, symbols on the side and, like, day glow paint. The whole thing was blacklit, to uh, they had black, li- black lights everywhere. So there was lots of, you know, neon things that would glow in the light. And let's see, up in the corners, there were TVs that were flashing, like old-style TVs, and we got the fellow who designed the arenas, who did the arena art, 
to paint some Bob Dobbs head up there. So that was cool. I remember that. He had like a nice stencil and there was one on every TV off both arenas. That was great. Let me talk about this guy for a sec. The fella who did the art of the arenas was an underground cartoonist by the name of Larry Wells. Now, I don't know if you know Larry. He, uh, his last name is spelled W-E-L-Z, not W-E-L-L-S. And he is most known for producing the underground adult comic known as Cherry Pop-Tart. I don't know if you've seen that or not. It's, uh, X-rated, fully explicit cartoon about the sexual exploits of a, uh, of a teenage, maybe college-age girl. Uh, anyway, they brought in Larry Wells to do the arena design. At the time, he was doing some freelance work. He was still publishing Cherry Pop-Tart, but he was, uh, you know, he was also taking interesting gigs on the side. I don't know how much, I don't know how much money you make doing an adult underground comic, but... He, uh, he did things like Qzar to help supplement the bills, and when he came in, you know, he was doing the stuff, and like I said earlier in the show, he asked us what we would like to see, and I suggested the, uh, the Dobbs heads and all that stuff, and he was like, very cool, man, very cool, you know, Church of Sub Genius, I'm, I'm really into that, so I got to talking with him, and I was like, hey man, what's your name, and he's like, Larry Wells, and I said... I'm thinking, like, Larry Wells. I know that dude because, I, you know, I'm into comics of all sorts. I don't necessarily, like, collect Cherry Pop-Tart comics, but I am aware of their existence. And I would, from time to time, take a peek over at the adult rack at uh, Fantasy Books and Games. So I was familiar with the dude, and I was familiar with his work, and I was aware that he uh, lived around us somewhere. So when he said his name was Larry Wells, I'm like, the Larry Wells? And he's like, yes, I am, in fact, the Larry Wells. And I started talking to him a bit about the comic, and he gave me one bit, uh, a tidbit of info, info that I have never forgotten. I'm just like, hey, man, you know, where did you get the inspiration for the comic? You know, is this, like, based on some, some, you know, floozy that you knew from the past or just, you know, some stories you heard or whatever? And he's like, well, actually, as a matter of fact, you know, Cherry Pop-Tart is uh, based on my daughter who's uh, named Cherry. And I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if he was telling the truth. I don't know if he has a daughter named Cherry. I don't know if he based this comic on her, but I thought it was a very weird thing to say. But um, I don't know, man. Live and let live, I guess. Uh, so, that's what Larry Wells told me about that. So, that was Arena Number 1. And then there was Arena Number 2, which is very similar to Arena 1, just uh, on a smaller scale. I'm going to go with the fact that Arena 1 was the big one. I don't know. Uh, they had, you know, design differences. You know, the, the, the ground floor was laid out different. They weren't identical. Different places to hide, different things. But more or less, it was a big room post-apocalyptic, lots of radioactive barrels, lots of fake rocks, day glow, TV screens, one base on each side for each team, and then on the other side of that, like, way in the back was the main arcade. It was really a nice arcade for our area. It was, uh... I'm not, you know, it was maybe the size of, like, half a basketball court, but it was full of games. Mostly, once again, mostly redemption games. Uh, Todd told me, I remember this, Taekwondo Todd told me that the money is in redemption. He's just like, every ticket is worth maybe five cents in prize value, you know? So, like, uh, if you had two tickets, you could, uh, you know, theoretically get a prize that cost Todd ten cents, like a piece of candy. If you had five tickets you could get something that would cost Todd, theoretically, 25 cents. So you had to get at least five tickets to make your money back. But he said that most of the games were difficult to the point where the most you would do would be two, maybe three tickets. So in the Redemption game, Todd always came out on top. Taekwondo Todd wins again. So the back arena was, you know, the back arcade, rather, was full of Redemption games. And there was also a... Uh, a cafeteria, not a cafeteria, like a cafe, where you could get pizza and pretzels. Kind of like the one that I imagine they have in just about every, um, every arcade that is, you know, every arcade family fun center or roller rink in the country. You know, you could get pizza, frozen pizza, hot dogs, chips, things like that. And then there was a lot of seats for parents to sit. That's usually where they would go. Nowadays, a place like that would have Wi-Fi. But at the time, they would just had TVs that were set to CNN or Fox News or whatever. And when the kids were playing, the parents would sit in the cafeteria area. So let's take a break. Uh, we are going to check out a small QZAR briefing video that I found. We'll play that and then we will come back and we will start into some of my personal stories of Qzar. 
I know you guys can't wait to get in the arena and start playing, but it's important that you listen to this briefing video first. If the Game Master hears anyone talking during the briefing, we'll have to stop the briefing and start it over. So please, pay attention and stay quiet. When you enter the vesting room, you'll see three rows of packs. Choose a pack that is the color of the team you'll be playing on. Stand by for your equipment briefing. Take your vest from the rack and get ready to play. Pull the trigger to check out the code name on the back of the phaser. Remember your code name. This is how you'll check your score after the game is over. Now here's how to use the two-handed phaser. To score points and win the battle, tag your opponent in one of the following six places. The phaser, the front of the vest, the two front shoulders, and the back of the vest. If you get tagged in the front or the back, you'll be shut down for 10 seconds. You'll also be deactivated for 10 seconds if you are hit three times in a row on your phaser or your shoulders. All right, Chief, ready for the briefing. Shoot at any player that is a different color than you. Each team also has a colored base. You can score a lot of points by firing at the other two teams' bases and destroying the base. Remember, it's important that you work as a team to help defend your base. These are the things you cannot do. You cannot run, you cannot climb on structures. No physical contact. Or else. No lying down. Also, no profanity. Or bad language. Obey your game master's warnings and instructions at all times. Their job is to keep you safe and to keep the game fair for all players. Warning, play in our arena is at your own risk. You are responsible for your safety. We cannot accept liability for your injuries. When time is up, your pack will announce the end of the game. Game over. Please proceed to exit. All right, that's it. Remember your briefing and ask a game master if you have any questions. Play fair and use teamwork. And above all, have lots of fun. All right, we are back. When I was at QZAR, we didn't have training videos like that. As a marshal, it was your job to go over the rules and to tell everybody everything they needed to know about QZAR. Uh, I think the speech was like a four or five minute deal at points. You'd have to really go over it with some of the groups. You know, you got to make sure people didn't push, people didn't poke and whatever. But, uh, that was part of the gig, man. Part of the grind. I worked with a lot of interesting people at QZAR and one that really comes to mind when I think about that place was this guy named Tim. Tim drove a Chevelle, had a mustache, had, uh, long black hair and amongst other things, Tim was... A, uh, he was a ranked paintball player. I didn't even know that they did rankings, but paintball was pretty popular at the time. And dude was a, uh, top-rated player. He once told me that if America had an Olympic paintball team, he would definitely be on it. He was on a team, I think they were called the Ironmen. I don't remember. One time I was over at Tim's house hanging out, and, uh, I saw a paintball magazine on it. So I started flipping through it, and then, like, a few pages in, there was an ad where he had uh, sponsored something, and then later in the magazine, there was just another picture of him having sponsored something. Now, it couldn't have paid that great to be a sponsored paintball player because he was working the night shift with me at QZAR, but I think that maybe dude's killer instinct led him to the laser tag arena. He He's probably like a natural-born hunter-killer kind of dude, and he can't control it, so the the outlet he finds is paintball, and maybe it got even even too extreme for that, so he had to move into the laser tag and live his life making fake kills. I don't know, but he was a super great dude. I miss seeing that guy. He was also another guy that was down with me on the local bulletin board scene. I was into the BBS scene, and his name was, uh, if I recall correctly, the Gamester. And he would, he would always be one of the dudes that dominated all of the local text games that you would play in the BBS. The one that we were really into, and the B this is just a side note, but I got, you know, I got some time, so I'm just gonna take this side, glide to the side here with this. Uh, the game that we were into was this game where you would deal drugs. Um, you would, it, it was more or less like you would price things, buy things at a price, sell them at a higher price, and you had to organize your troops, and you had to organize your territory, and you would get four or five turns per day, and you would make your turns. Your turns would either be like, deal some drugs and make some money, or move some spaces, or try to gather more troops, things like that. I do not remember the exact details. We actually met up with the guy that ran the bulletin board that did the game. Uh, I don't remember, was it maybe the Huntsman's Den? I do not recall, but uh, the Huntsman's Den seems correct. We met up with 
the Huntsman over in a uh, Denny's in Petaluma. At the time, my town had outlawed smoking in restaurants. This was before everybody outlawed smoking in restaurants. But uh, there was a restaurant in Petaluma that still let people smoke cigarettes, so everybody liked to go there. It was uh, a real booming, booming place for a while. But we met the uh, we met the Huntsman's there. And we registered the game. We gave him money so he could register the game. And once you registered it, you were allowed to change different things. And we changed the names of the streets to, like, Electric Avenue or whatever. Just, we personalized it. He allowed us to personalize it in any way we wanted. We changed the names of the drugs to, like, Spice or, uh, you know, Romulan Ale. Stuff like that. We, I don't know, we, we were pretty lame. <laughs> anyway, uh, here is a QZAR story that relates to Tim. After a while working at QZAR one night, we decided we were just like, let's see if we can take the uh, the backpacks outside. Now, where I live, sometimes at night, it gets really foggy. The fog gets really dense. It gets really thick. It's, uh, sometimes you can find, you can barely find your way through it. So, we took the, um, we just said, hey man, let's each grab a pack. And this was, you know, after closing. It was pretty late. And a lot of times, we would hang out there after uh, we were supposed to be shut down. Just hanging out inside playing video games, we, I don't know, it, at, that, that, at that point, it was a really great hangout, we would close, and we would stay in there and play games, we would play QZAR amongst ourselves, we would play pinball, and just, just hang out, it was a lot of fun, and I, you know, I was one of the supervisors, so it was, you know, it was me, and sometimes we'd even stand the clock and get some, some OT, but, uh, we decided one night, we're just like, hey man, let's take these, uh, backpacks and guns outside, and we'll see what, see what we can get into, and we went out, and we, we had a game in the, in the QSR parking lot, it was really fun, you could see the lasers cutting through the fog, that, that made it really exciting, it was like, it was like being in one of the, uh, QSR commercials, and QSR commercials, there's always smoke, they always smoke it up, so that you can see the colors of the laser going through, as a matter of fact, I was on the commercial for the uh, QZAR. I cannot find it. I know that I taped it, and I know that I have the tape around here somewhere, and I want to find it so I can post it, but they uh, they kind of coerced all the employees into being in the commercial. We had to wear the shiny QZAR jumpsuits that they provided to us. They were kind of strange. Real shiny. I felt like Mace or a Puff Daddy in one of those videos. I had the shiny suit syndrome, but they forced us into the suits, and then they filled the arena with, they got smoke thingers, you know, smoke, uh, blowers, and they, they filled the whole area with smoke, it was smoked up, like, you could barely see who you are, which made it a bit easier for me to be in the commercial, because I wore, like, a QZAR hat, and I pulled it low, and I figured, like, no one will recognize me in the smoke, but it was kind of fun, and they had us, like, come toward the camera, they're like, crouch low, and sort of slink in, you know, try to look like, uh, like you're in combat, and we had to, like, slink in and be like, pew, 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 shooting, I was like, try to hit the lens, try to hit the camera, and I remember they aired the commercial on TV50, that was our local network, it's now a Spanish language channel, which is kind of a bummer, they used to have local news and all sorts of fun stuff, but, um, now it is a Spanish language affiliate for, I think, Galavision, but I don't know, and they don't even show Lucha Libre on it, so it's not even, like, a cool Spanish channel, but, uh, they played it on Channel 50 all the time, and the Channel 50 is where I would watch my Star Trek Next Generation, they would play two episodes every day uh, between four and five, I guess four to six all together, and I had to be home to watch it, and they would always play the QZAR commercial during the episode, I guess. I guess that's how they had it planned. They're like, if you like Star Trek, you might like, uh, you might enjoy QZAR. But anyway, we were playing in the parking lot. We we're having like a one-on-one -on -one game, not, you know, team versus team. I don't even know why I said one-on-one. -on -one. So we're having a game, and we're we're shooting it out, and... I keep getting hit, and I'm just like, I cannot figure out where this is coming from, because I felt like I had good cover, I don't see anyone around, and I kept getting hit, so, you know, I, I, I finally, I'm frustrated, and I stand up, I'm just like, who is doing that? And I turn around, and my man Tim was up on the roof of QZAR with a, uh, a 40 ounce in one hand, he was a bit of a beer drinker at the time, I guess, uh, I guess we all kind of were, and... He had a, you know, a country club 40 ounce, and he's up on the roof with his laser in the other hand just, pew, 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 sniping me. It was a hilarious moment. I can always, I can always picture him up there just, you know, with the, with the four-aught and the gun just busting caps on me. Man, that was a good time. We, at different times, we took the equipment into different places. I remember there was a park nearby. 
We went and played in the park. We went and played in another parking lot. We played in a field. We did all, we were just taking them all the time and running around and Q-zarring it up. That, that was so much fun, man. We could have gotten, that could have turned serious. If one of us would have like fallen into a pond and destroyed the equipment, this stuff must have cost a fortune. I don't know. At the time, you don't even think about what might happen to you because you're just like, hey man, I got a Country Club 40 ounce. I got a laser tag backpack. I'm having a good time running around behind the McDonald's over near uh, the park. Uh, let's see, what is another good QZAR store? Oh, here's one. Uh, we live in an area that does not have a ton of celebrities, but there are celebrities that live in Marin County or in other, like, Bay Area places. So you do see people from time to time. I used to see Charles Schultz all the time. He lived here, but uh, I digress. Uh, so one day I'm working the QZAR counter with my man Tim, and Tim was kind of kind of a rocker dude, and he's he's sitting there drawing a Metallica logo on the back of a score sheet with a pencil when... Now, this is true. It's not going to sound true, but this is true. He's sitting there drawing the logo when, uh, you know, the door chime goes off, meaning a customer comes in, and we look up, and it was Lars Ulrich and two girls, two, probably his daughters. Lars Ulrich from Metallica was standing right there in the doorway. Now, this is not an uncommon thing. I have seen Lars Ulrich at the flea market before, and I, I know that other people do see him out and about, but this was, um... His rep, you know, this is, people weren't, people liked Metallica, of course, but this was when I feel as if the backlash against Metallica was beginning. This is when I'm thinking, and this might be all wrong in the timeline because Metallica's done a few things that have turned fans off. There was a Napster thing. There was the haircuts when they all got haircuts. I think this was during the haircut thing where they uh, cut their hair short, which is who cares? But at the time, true metalheads were kind of up in arms about that. And my man Tim's drawn this logo, and he sees Lars come in, short hair and all. And Lars comes up to the counter, and he's polite. He's like, hi, you know, I have um, three people here who want to play. And he uh, looks down, and he sees Tim is drawing the Metallica logo. He sees it. I know he saw it. I saw him see it. And when Tim sees him see it, he crumpled it up crumpled it up right in front of dude crinkle and uh i you know to his credit lars ulrich no sold it he didn't react in any way he just kind of looked down and then looked back and he's like uh i'd like to get you know passes for three please and tim's like oh okay you know sold him the passes told him when the game was scheduled and went on as if nothing happened and i'm just like dude i can't believe you did that you crumpled it right in dude's face at the time it seemed like such a rebellious gesture. Now I see it. It's a bit, uh, well, it's not even a bit. It's very disrespectful to somebody who's made a lot of music that you enjoy. Just because he got a haircut doesn't mean you should diss him. Doesn't mean anything. It's his hair. He can do whatever he wants with it. Who even cares about somebody's hair? Dude is giving you a lot of music you like. And even though he may be a wiener, he might not uh, be somebody you love that much. You don't got to clown on him. You probably could have got him to sign the Metallica drawing and then you'd have it as an awesome memento. But... At any rate, I bet he still has it in his mind that he dissed uh, good old Lars, and that's probably even a better memento than a sketch. Here's one more quick one, and then we'll take a uh, bit of a commercial break, and then we'll come back, and we'll tell a couple more and wind it all in. So, one day I'm a marshal, and as a marshal, your job is to split the teams into two. Sometimes you got to make some... You got to make some tough decisions. You know, people don't want to be on a team, whatever. But uh, you got to do what you got to do. We were told to try to make the games as even as possible. You know, you want to make it so that one team doesn't kill the other team, no matter what people say. So one day I'm in there and there was a group of like 20-somethings and then a group of like, I don't know, 12, 11, 10 kind of age kids and... I went to split them up, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going, like, one big kid, one little kid, one big kid, one a little kid, trying to make it as even as I can. And then one of the dudes protests. He's like, hey, man, we all came together, you know, and uh, we all want to be on the same team, dude. It's like we didn't come and pay to play to have to uh, split up and be with some kids. And I say, sir, I'm just, you know, I'm trying to make the game as even as possible, uh... Frankly, if you guys face these kids, it's going to be a massacre, and we're all just here to have fun. Um, 
if you want, you can wait till the next round and maybe you guys can stick together and there will be a team of guys, you know, somewhere around your age and skill level that you can play against, but he was not having it. He was like, look, we've been waiting to play. They would schedule the games and you buy your ticket and then they would tell you that your game would be number this and you would have to wait through all the games until it was your turn. He's like, look, we've been waiting here for half an hour for our game and it's our time is now and we want to play and we're all together and we want to play as a team against those guys. And I'm thinking, this is just too weird. And I don't I don't want to be part of it. But I go, sir, you know, I do have to separate you guys just for the sake of fairness. And as I said that, dude gave me the bums rush. He just, like, came out at me with his arms straight out. Like, he was either going to strangle me like a fast-paced zombie, like a mummy with his arms out. But, um... I had a gun because part of the demonstration is you have to show them the gun, show them where the sensors are, show them where the trigger is. And I I had it in my hands and I held it up, you know, to defend myself against him coming at me. And he grabbed a hold of the gun. I had it on one side. He had it on the other. And we started pushing against each other like, ah, ah, ah. And he was taller than me. He was a bit taller than me, but a bit lighter. So I couldn't get the, uh, I couldn't just shove him back. If he would have been the same size, I think I could have just shoved dude back. But he had, he was, you know, a fair deal taller than me. So he was pushing down and I'm pushing up just like, uh, 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 uh. And we're going back and forth and people are watching. His friends are like, yeah, 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 yeah. They're cheering him on. The kids look horrified. I'm like, oh, uh, uh. It was like the scene in Civil War where Captain America and Iron Man, like Iron Man shooting his repulsor beams and Captain America's fighting him off with his shield. I was Captain America, of course, Team Cap. So I'm pushing and pushing and pushing. And uh, we start to get wore down. We're just like shoving back and forth. This seems like it's going on forever. It was probably only a couple minutes, but it did feel as if it was going on for a long time before one of my boys, Bullfrog and Devil T, both busted in there. And they're like, yo, what's going on? This guy's attacking my guy. So they ran in and they pulled him off and we were separated. And I'm just like, that was just so weird. I wasn't angry. I was just really, really surprised that that happened. And of course, you know, Taekwondo Todd gets involved and he comes in and he's like, we can't have you assaulting the marshals. You're out of here. And he threw the whole group out. And then he's asking me, he's like, yo, do you want to press charges on that guy? He assaulted you. And I'm like, I don't want to press charges on anybody. Dude's just a jerk. I don't even know what he was thinking. He's probably just, uh, hopped up on, uh, goofballs. I have no idea why dude took it so far. I have no idea when any of this happened, but it is, in retrospect, it is kind of a good, funny memory of something that happened. So, uh, let's take a quick listen to this QZAR commercial, and then we will be back for, uh, another celebrity story, and then a couple more, and then we're gonna wind it in. Alright, here we go! For an action-packed challenge of stealth and skill, the cues are of Call Place. A cutting-edge fusion of hide-and-seek and capture the flag means an experience you won't forget. The island's largest arcade and fantastic party package is available. Call now or visit QsRNY.com for more info. You do it for the fame. We do it for the cause. That's why we're real living and you're just Mr. Movie Montage. Before QZAR opened, we had an employee family friend night. The deal was the place was open, you know, normally like it would be for customers, but it was only for, you know, family, friends, people like that. It was a way to test, a way to test out whether we were ready to open for the public. I think they called this a soft opening. I do not know. That's something I heard on Bar Rescue. At any rate, we were there and... It was, you know, the employees, we brought all of our friends, the construction guys, the guys who painted the arenas, just everybody was there with all their friends, and it was really fun. We were, you know, having drinks, walking around, eating snacks, playing QZAR. It was a good time, so I'm walking around, and I see my dude, Larry Wells of Cherry Pop-Tart fame over over by the uh, snack bar, eating some nachos, drinking a 7-Up. So I go on over and I'm like, what's up, Larry Wells? I don't know if you remember me. And he's like, of course I remember you. Uh, he's probably just being polite. But he's like, of course I remember you. You're the dude that works at QZAR. So I start talking to him. You know, I'm asking him questions about the comic, about how much it costs to publish a comic. Publish a comic. I've always been 
into uh, the business side of things. I'm always curious about how much it costs to do something. I, wa- I really want to know how much it costs to make an action figure. I've always wondered this. If anyone out there knows, please contact me. Uh, I am curious. But, I mean, I'm talking about how much does it cost to publish your comic? Uh, where do you get your comic uh, out there? Just all sorts of questions. And he's answering them. He's being very polite. Dude was a real gent. A real salt of the earth. And then... His friend comes over. His friend had been, you know, over playing some pinball, doing whatever. And dude comes over. And as soon as I look at Guy, I immediately know who he was. It was noted underground comic luminary R. Crumb. Robert Crumb himself. The dude of the famous R. Crumb movie. The guy who draws women with uh, very buoyant backsides. That guy with the Amazon-like woman. I'm just like, oh my god, this is Robert Crumb. I cannot believe I'm standing here talking to Robert Crumb. It was amazing. I, To me, this guy is just such a giant star. He eclipses... Lars Ulrich, he would eclipse Santana, who we also saw around there. Don't really have a fun Santana story. He just came in with his kids, and they played, and it was polite. He ran around. He was wearing a hat. He was wearing a hat and a bunch of scarfs. He he uh, he was all right. But anyway, I'm standing there, and I'm just like, oh, my God, this is Robert Crumb. I was speechless. And, you know, he stuck his hand out, and he's like, hi, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm Robert. And I'm just like, oh, hey, man, you know, uh, and I shook his hand, and we were chatting. It was just an amazing experience because, you know, you got to wonder, um, when you're, uh, an underground luminary, I don't know how often you get recognized when you're out. I really don't. I have no idea. There are certain people who are going to, you know, do backflips when they see you, but then by and large, you can probably walk around without people knowing who you are. But at the time there was a movie out about him, a documentary that was really, Really bringing his name out there. So I don't know. Anyway, I, you know, talking to him, I'm having a great time. And then he's like, oh, hey, check it out. We, we're going to play in a minute. Um, are you, are you going to play? And I said, the chance to play laser tag with R. Crumb and Larry Wells, of course I'm going to play. So the game is getting ready to start. They were going in there and I snuck in. I, they wanted everybody, you know, to do it like it was for real. They wanted you to schedule games and do everything so that, you know, we could practice being, you know, open for real customers. But I'm just like, I will not pass up this opportunity to play laser tag with R. Crumb. So I kind of slipped in there and I got on uh, the Team Wells and we had a fantastic time. Uh, it was just so neat to be in the arena, you know, watching. I'm, I'm guarding R. Crumb's back. I'm just like, it's him. And he's going through, and he's shooting, and it's me, him, and Larry Wells, and it was just an amazing experience. I don't know, um, I don't know if I have the words to explain, like, in my pantheon of stories, the time that I played laser tag on the same team as R. Crumb and Larry Wells is up there. The only way it could have been better is if, like, Steve Ditko of Marvel Comics fame was also there, or, uh... Harrison Ford. I don't know. Just this was a great experience. We ended up winning. I remember uh, I kind of stuck with R. Crumb. I wanted to be I wanted to be as close to the legend as I could. So I kind of hung back and I, I, I guarded his back. I was shooting people because he was trying to play and he was a beginner. He didn't know the tricks. He was kind of a lot of the times he was just standing upright and walking around and he had a fedora. Uh, so I'm just like, oh my God, I can't I can't let R. Crumb get killed. If it's him or me, it's going to be me. So I was I would get his back. I took a couple hits from him. Um, I was able to help him get through, and he and I destroyed the base together. It was just just an amazing out-of-this-world out experience. So, uh, let's see. What else can we talk about Qzar? There was a lot of fun things that happened over there. We uh, we had a team. That, after a while at Qzar, they opened up a Qzar League, and... I didn't think it was fair at the time, but they let us put together a team, us being the employees, and we did. It was me, my boy Tim, Devil T, Bullfrog, uh, a couple other fools. Our friend Angela was on it, and it was all employees, and quite frankly, it was unfair the way that we just mobbed through the competition. We, uh, I think we went undefeated the entire first season. We, <laughs> I don't remember how long the season was. It was a tournament every, uh... Every team got one elimination. If you lost, you were out, and then you would just go on and on and on until you reached the finals, and we just, 
we mobbed through the whole thing. If I remember correctly, our name was the Radio City Death Squad. And uh, they actually got a trophy. They got a trophy of some guy shooting. It was like a shooting trophy, uh, skeet shooting, target shooting. And they put, you know, Qzar and... They had it set up along the base so that you would be able to add names year in and year out. But as far as I know, this was the only year they had the uh, tournament. So it was like Radio City Death Squad, Qzar Champs. And they put it in, they put it in a case. It was one of the cases in the uh, redemption room where you would take your tickets and turn them into uh, candy or plastic tops or rubber frogs or whatever. They had it in there. They removed some of the prizes and they put the put the trophy in there, which is a weird maneuver if you think about it all in all. First of all, you let your you let your employees win the whole thing, and then you put up a big trophy to celebrate those employees. Uh, that was that was actually the peak of our QZAR. We would get to play a lot. Like we would pay play a lot. Uh, and other people, you know, they had to they had to pay and our skill level got really high really quickly just due to the amount of times that we would get to play. And after a while, other people started to, they started to catch up. Our our skills got about as good as they could get. And there needed to be something that would raise it to the next level. And that something was a technique called the blanket. And what that was, I remember... Gosh, I want to remember this kid's name. He had he had some kind of a weird nickname, like Cockroach or something. He was a small, he was a, you know, mid-sized kind of hip-hop kid who wore a lot of baggy clothes. And he he, he came up with this, this thing called blankets where he would wear as big a shirt as he could get and he would use the sleeves of his shirt to drape over the side of his guns to cover the sensors and then he would hold his gun in a particular way to where, you know, the blankets of his arm and the gun would cover his sensor. Now, I don't know what he did for the back. I don't think you could do anything to protect your back. But by using his oversized gear and his gun, he, he was completely protected. You could not shoot him unless you could get him in the back. The dude was undefeatable. You had to hold it really weird. You can't see what I'm doing, but my hands are kind of crisscrossed. Because, like, your arm would go across, and you'd be shooting. It was very strange technique, and once he started blanketing, other dudes picked it up, too, and it became, it became, like, a whole different game. I enjoyed the, uh, just the straightforward of it, of, like, bam, 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 your shot. Like, this is real life. Like, in real life, you can't hold your arms across your chest and be protected, and I enjoyed, you know, the somewhat realistic of I aim at you and if I hit you you're got and once they started blanketing the game became a lot uh a lot less fun to me just I I wanted to play straightforward and there was a lot of other techniques that dude came up with over the years this guy was really an innovator in QZAR and when I was doing research for this episode I found a bunch of videos about how to protect your gun how to protect your chest when you're playing QZAR. So it turns out that bro was not the only bro out there doing this. This is some kind of a, I don't know, man. Once it got to that point, I really did start to lose interest in playing QZAR, mainly just because I did not want to come into the arena and have to wear a uh, quadruple X uh, sweatshirt just so that I could protect myself from getting capped. I wanted to protect myself from getting capped by dodging, by hiding, by using cover, things like that. Here, here's a story. I remember, uh, this isn't even a QZAR-related story, but I remember my guy, Tim. He was, you know, the paintball champ, and he would always tell us how great he was at using cover, and he would be like, dudes, I am so good at using cover that I could hide in a bush, and you couldn't, uh, shoot me with a paintball gun. And we're just like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. The paintball's gonna go right through the bush, and you're gonna get hit. And, uh, he's like, look, I'll show you, man. I'll go hide in that bush. I'll get my gun out of my trunk and you can shoot at me and I will be so well covered you won't lay a pellet on me. And I'm just like, word bond, dude, let's do it. So he got in the bush and I'm just like, blap, 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 blap. I shot five or six times and he came out and he was untouched. There was not a mark on him, not a mark on his body. I do not know how he did it. But uh, that's what makes somebody a uh, top-level athlete as opposed to a scrub like me. You just got the skills to pay the bills. You can hide in the bush. Uh, 
This is really getting toward the end of my career at QZAR. Uh, the Radio City Death Squad was really, really like the cherry on the top of the Sunday. We were the champions. We were the best. It was it wasn't going to go anywhere but downhill from there, and it did kind of go downhill. One of the guys we hung out with named uh, Bullfrog. He he and I and Devil T and Tim we we had a falling out with him. I don't remember exactly what it was about, but we thought dude was kooking. And he was starting to be a kook, and we had a falling out. But then Bullfrog got promoted up into uh, being a tech. You know, he was like a gun tech, arena tech. He's kind of a techie guy. I think eventually he ended up working in computers. But uh, he he took the opportunity of the promotion to kind of kind of turn against us. He was like, I think we need to rearrange the arena's Taekwondo Todd. And he knew that... The sub-genius Dobbs heads painted by Larry Wells were, they were kind of important to us. You know, we suggested it, he did it, and it was something we liked and believed in at the time. And it was really important to us. So, one of the things he did when he became uh, the arena tech was he removed the TVs right out of there. He's like, you know, you know, Taekwondo Todd, I think these TVs are kind of corny. We should really get rid of them. Nobody's feeling it. And he had them all removed. It was just like just like a slap in the face, and it kind of became indicative of how things were. Uh, I was always butting heads with him. As a supervisor, I had some power, but he became, he became like the head of uh, the technical side, and he did have more power than me, and it was just kind of, I was getting pushed out just because we weren't friends anymore, and it was really getting to me, and then one day I came in, and I don't remember what it was, but Taekwondo Todd criticized me about something. I cannot recall what it was. It was something minor, like I did not uh, empty the mop bucket or I didn't mop good enough. He was always on me for my mopping. He didn't think that I could mop well, and I do. I mop all the time. I'm pretty good at it, but I don't know what. He he just had something against my mop abilities, and that's probably what it was. And he came up to me, and I'm like, you know what, dude? You can stick it. You can stick it, brother. Taekwondo Todd, you're lucky I don't, you know beat the heck out of you right here, I quit. And I threw my name badge down, I threw my QZAR hat down, and I left. And the second I walked out of the door, I said, what have you done? What have you done? You had a fun job, and even though Bullfrog was a creep, and even though it wasn't the most fun, you still get to hang out with your friends, you still get to uh, play QZAR at night, you still get to drink 40 40 ounces on the roof and have a good time. What have you done? But at that point... It was too late. I hopped on the bus and I went home and I really did regret it. And I did something that I regret even worse. I went back in there and I said, Todd, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I told you I can beat you up. Your Taekwondo is unbeatable. You are surely the best striker in the world. I apologize. Can I please have my job back? And I regret this so bad. And I regret it even more because he said, I know how much you want it. The answer is no, please leave. And I I had to leave with uh with my tail between my legs. It was quite an embarrassing situation. I feel I felt bad about quitting. I felt like a dummy. It took me a while to find another job. Eventually I landed in the uh in the video store game, which I loved for years, but I went for a while with just nothing uh nothing fun to do because my friends were still working there. They were still hanging out on the roof. They were still playing in the parking lot. It was just me by myself at home being a loser, I regret it, and then I regret it even worth, worse that I asked Todd for something, because the dude was, dude was a chode, uh, Taekwondo Todd, if you're listening to this, I never wanted the job back, you're a chode, I bet I could beat you up if I see you now, at any rate, man, that's about it for QZAR, I might come up with some more QZAR tales, and if I do, I'll do a part two, word bond, guaranteed. I can't guarantee I'll do it, but I can guarantee if I get some ideas that I will do it. And I just want to thank you guys. I want to thank you guys for being patrons. I really do appreciate it. I know I know how hard it is to come up with money, man. And I just, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you guys for listening to the show, supporting the show, retweeting my links, and most of all, just for giving me a bit of your hard-earned money every month. It's just... It's just awesome, man. It's awesome to do something and know that people enjoy it and care enough about it that they are willing to uh, actually help out. And for that feeling, that feeling of doing something nice, I want to I wanna thank you guys. Anyway, this is me, Icy Robot. 
for Iceberg and everyone else in the world, you know, this is uh, signing off episode number two, This Boring Life, Cues Our Days. This Robots Radio production. I see Robots Radio is a listener supported in Deha. If you like what we do and we make your day a little easier, please consider tossing a few bucks our way to help keep the life support running. All money collected goes to help us prepare for future space pirate attacks. Go on over to supportthereport.com for all the details. Thanks and have a great week.